Amen. You know, isn't God good? I mean, amen. All the time, he's good. You know, I'm th- I hope that you had a, a wonderful Thanksgiving. I hope that you uh, had plenty to eat. Um, I know we did, and um, I'm thankful for that. Um, I've been in other parts of the world where they didn't have a whole lot to eat, and so I'm thankful for how God has provided uh, for us. Um, this morning, uh, if you have your scripture and want to open up, we're going to be in um, Mark chapter 6. Um, you know, when I, when I was a kid, we, uh, we raised some chickens. And, um, you know, chickens um, are interesting. And uh, neighborhood dogs thought they were interesting also. Um, I didn't realize that there was just a whole bunch of different varieties of chickens. There's just all these different kinds out there. And, and, um, but, but for my purpose today, there's only two types, okay? There's tame chickens and wild chickens. And somehow we got a bunch of chickens that didn't like to lay their eggs in the chicken coop where they were supposed to. And um, <laughs> they would lay them anywhere on the property they chose to lay them. And so we didn't know, you know, where we were going to find the eggs. And they were, they were really chickens gone wild with a capital W. But, um, you know, on, on a hot summer day, and I don't remember exactly what day it was, or, but as hot as it could get in Oregon, okay? So um, it, was, it, was, it was warm there. Um, it's a dry heat, okay? Not humid. But um, I was out behind the outbuilding in our backyard, and, and um, I noticed that there was um, a nest of chicken eggs out there, about two dozen of these eggs. And uh, I wasn't sure if they were still good or not, you know, being out in the heat. I didn't know how long they'd been there. I just stumbled upon them. And so I took one of these eggs, and, and uh, I cracked it open on a board. And, um, you know, it was really interesting because when I cracked the egg, it was more like a small explosion, Okay, and and the eggs had had spoiled, and uh, they were rotten and decaying on the inside. Okay, and that built up some some pressure there, and they, they exploded kind of like a grenade, you know, um, when when you throw it, but uh, when the shell was cracked. So, remember, I found these eggs when I was um, an early teenager. Okay, and I'm not even going to tell you all the uses I found for those eggs. Um, some of those things are better left unspoken. And um, I don't want to give anyone any nefarious ideas. You, you know what I mean. Um, but those eggs were unusual. And they looked okay on the outside. They looked just like a normal egg. But on the inside, they were, they were rotten. They were, they were dead on the inside. And, um, you know, did you know that it's possible for people to be just like those eggs. They look just fine on the outside, but they're rotten and dead on the inside. Their soul is decaying. And you know, I'm so glad that God doesn't judge us by our outward appearances. Scripture tells us in 1 Samuel 16 that the Lord does not look at the things like man looks at things. Man looks at the outward appearance But the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord looks at our heart. So I asked the question today just to get you thinking, are you dealing with some kind of something, some kind of sin inwardly 
But you're going through the daily routine of convincing others that everything is fine. You know, you can't keep going like that. You can't keep that up because it's eaten away at you. And today we're going to study a passage that describes King Herod as a man who died literally from the inside out. Just like one of those eggs from the inside out. And we're going to see how his inner sense of right and wrong, his, his conscience went from being confused to becoming seared to becoming hardened, just like a rock. See, Mark 6 talks about, there's something, uh, our passage this morning is, is kind of a parenthesis, if you will. It's kind of a, a flashback uh, in, in, in time, and it's talking about the imprisonment and the execution of John the Baptist. Interestingly, there are only two passages in the book of Mark that aren't about Jesus, but they're both about John the Baptist. Okay, so, so there's two passages there. John is the forerunner of, of Jesus's message and his ministry, but he's also the forerunner of Jesus's death. And Mark's account of John's death is significantly longer than the other two accounts that we find in Matthew and Luke. It's longer than those. It goes into more detail. And Jesus has just warned his 12 apostles that their preaching would not always be welcomed. That people were going to be against them. And if there were any doubts about this, the brief ministry and end of John the Baptist would leave little, if any, doubt. And really, the, the, the point of this is that the cost of discipleship is high indeed. The cost of discipleship is great indeed. And you know, when we think about that, the, the cost that we pay to follow Jesus sometimes doesn't cost us a whole lot. Maybe a little bit on a Sunday morning, maybe a little time, but it may not cost us our reputation. It may not cost us being thrown into prison. It may not cost us our life. But truly we see in this situation that the cost of discipleship is great indeed. So now we're going to move from the, the, into the shocking events that led to the execution of, of God's man, John the Baptist. And it's an all too, fam too familiar story of sex, of power, of pride, of lust and revenge. And, and you know, Herod may have been Paranoid. He may have been weak, but that the Herod that I'm talking about is not the Herod in Matthew 2 that, that commanded all of the, the, you know, the, the baby boys under two years of age to be killed. See, this is his son. This is Herod the Great's son. Herod the Great was very paranoid, and he may have come by it honestly. So this was his son, Herod, and, and uh, we recognize that there's, he's, he's weak, he's paranoid. His wife, Herodias, on the other hand, is conniving and ruthless. She would stop at nothing to get her way. And even if it meant prostituting her own daughter and taking the life of the man of God. 
Now, the events that we are unfolding are going to be shocking, and, and they're very seedy and, and, and slimy, if you will. Jerry Springer, Jersey Shore, all my children and, and modern family have nothing to do uh, with this first uh, century zoo of a family. They got nothing on them, okay? Divorce, adultery, incest, drunkenness, striptease, dancing, and murder characterize the, the Herod family, you might call it sin on steroids, okay? And, and, and it might be a good way of describing this family, okay? And, and, and in all of this, you see a man who is consumed with a guilty conscience. He knows what is right, but he's not doing what is right. And it haunts him for not doing the right thing. So we're gonna read here in just a moment. I, I wanna talk just a moment, though, about something else. In, in Mark 6... Uh, we see in these verses, there's a picture here of a person who can sin against their conscience to the, when we are able to do that, then we are capable of anything. When we sin against our conscience, we are capable of anything. And, and it's, impo- it's possible for us to ignore the, the you know, the, the, the warnings of our heart, our soul, our mind until those warnings can no longer be heard. We can put them at, at arm's length and say, just put them out. And it's possible to so deaden the conscience that it no longer stands as a barrier between the individual and any sin that they choose to commit. First Timothy chapter four, verse two, Paul writes this, Verse one and two, it says, but the spirit explicitly says that in later times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. Folks, that is why some people can do the things that they do without remorse and without guilt. Their conscience has been seared. They no longer feel, it no longer warns them about anything, about any evil. And before we go any further, we need to talk about the conscience because many people are confused about the conscience and what it does. I mean, many people believe that the conscience was given to us to make decisions between right and wrong. But I want you to understand something. That is a false assumption. The conscience will only resist any deviation from the truth or the right and wrong that it knows. This is why it's very important to train up a child in the way they should go. Because your conscience will only recognize the deviation from right or wrong that it knows. If it does not know that, it will not guide you in that way. For instance, if you've been raised to believe in the Bible as absolute truth, that this is absolute truth, your conscience will help you to know the difference between what is right and wrong based on God's word. That is the standard for truth. So if you start to do something that the Bible says is a sin, your conscience will rise and tell you, don't do that. 
because your conscience knows this is right and wrong. But if on the other hand, you've been raised to believe that there are no limits in life, that you can do whatever you please, your conscience will not give you any problems. It will just let you go and let you do. Folks, this is why so many people are in such trouble today. They've adopted a philosophy of I can do anything I want. They will not say no to the flesh. There is no checks and balances in that philosophy because you do what you feel. If it feels good, you do it. That philosophy of I can do anything I want. And as a result, they do not live by the truth of the word of God, but by their own feelings of the flesh. They do as they please. And you know what? Their conscience never bothers them. But you see, the most dangerous thing that any person can do is sin against the truth. See, Paul tells us that sinning against a good conscience leads to spiritual shipwreck. 1 Timothy 1, verse 19, Paul says this, verse 18 and 19, he says, this command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may fight the good fight, keeping faith and a good conscience which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. See, a good conscience is one that knows the truth and desires to be obedient to it. When people know the truth and reject it in favor of their own standards of right and wrong, they sin against a good conscience. And that's what we're going to see in our text today. So now I've laid all the the, the groundwork, the the backdrop for this. You know, your conscience is is a warning system. It's like physical pain. You know, when you when you hurt, which this warns you of of damage to the body. There's something going on in the body. There's a there's a problem there, and the conscience can warn of your damage to the soul. And see, that's what, that's what we're talking about when we're talking about conscience. It's the, the damage that happens to your soul. So what happens when someone's neurological warning system goes out? Think about a leper, maybe who can't feel anymore. Well, they get too close to the fire and they get burned because they don't feel it. The same thing happens to our soul when our conscience gets seared. It, it goes out, it's our warning system. And, 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 and when it goes out, we learn from Herod that this is how a conscience goes from being confused to, to seared and finally to becoming hardened. We see that in Herod's life. And so, so what is a conscience? <laughs> you know, one teenager, she defined it as something that makes you tell your mom before your sister does. Kent Hughes, he said, it's the warning light that goes off in your soul. Look with me, if you will, Mark 6, we're going to jump into the text and we're just going to kind of camp out in in this passage, but, um, and then I have one in Luke as well, Luke 23, but um, 
in, in John, excuse me, in Mark 6, 14, it says, God's word says this, and King Herod heard of it for his name, Jesus's name had become well known. And people were saying, John the Baptist has risen from the dead. And this is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others are saying he is Elijah and others are saying he is a prophet, one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he kept saying, John, whom I beheaded, has risen. And so we, we see this, and, and uh, you know, the, the I here, John, whom I beheaded, and the I there is emphatic in the Greek. It means I am the one. I did this. I'm the one. I did this. But it's not a confession. And it says there that he kept saying. So over and over, people were talking about Jesus. His popularity was coming into being. And so they're talking about him. And and he's saying, well, it's got to be John the Baptist whom I beheaded. I'm the one who killed him. I took him out. But it was not a confession. It's kind of like a ball player who has the habit of just mouthing the words. But they never change what they're doing, their error. They just just mouth those words, my bad, my bad, that's on me. But they don't change it up. They don't do anything different. You know, Abraham Lincoln, he said that for a man to train up a child in the way he or she should go, he must walk that way himself. There was someone else said this, children have a much better chance of growing up if their parents have done so first. Let's look at his confused conscience here for Herod. Verse 17 and following, it says, for Herod himself had sent and had arrested John and bound in prison on account of Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted him put to death and could not do so. For Herod was afraid of John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. And when he heard him, he was very perplexed, but he used to enjoy listening to him. See, Herod made numerous bad decisions in his life. He made decisions not based on what was right, but based on what would bring him, you know, power, prestige, pleasure. Herodias had been the wife of Herod's brother, Philip. You know, the early church historian Josephus shed some light on this situation about what was going on with this family. I mean, on one occasion, while he was visiting his brother Philip, Herod had an affair with Philip's wife Herodias. And they decided to, to divorce their spouses and, and move in together and, and marry each other. So Herodias became Herod's wife and she moved into the palace. Now, John the Baptist had the courage to call it out, to call this relationship what it was, sinful, 
But you can't have a preacher out there in the wilderness shouting at everybody that's coming to see him from Jerusalem that their relationship is sinful. So she wanted to put a stop to it. Herodias wanted to kill John. But Herod appeased her and protected him because he was afraid to touch him. He was a holy man of God. Herod was struggling with sin and he compromised with his conscience. He put John into prison because it silenced John's continual criticism of his sinful practices. But he also was afraid to kill John and in a strange kind of way, he was attracted to this courageous preacher of God's word. Note that Herod feared John on one hand, but on the other hand, he respected him. We have a man here, Herod, caught with two minds. He alternated between the bed of Herodias and the the cell, the jail cell, where John was kept. He loved the beauty of the holy life, but man, he loved his sin as well. And he was fascinated by the message that John preached, but he was afraid of its consequences. Do you ever find yourself in a similar dilemma? Maybe caught between conscience and lifestyle. Here's a warning. You will spiritually travel only as far as Herod and no farther unless grace leads you to Jesus Christ. You will always be caught in this dilemma. You will, and, and at some point, you get tired of your, your conscience bothering you, so you do something anyway, and it sears your conscience. I think this is huge, because you can, you can move from a confused conscience to a seared one. Look at verse 21, it says this, a strategic day came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his lords and military commanders and all, and and the leading men of Galilee. And when the daughter of Herodias herself came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. And the king said to the girl, ask me for whatever you want and I will give it to you. And he swore to her, whatever you ask of me, I will give it to you up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, what shall I ask for? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. Immediately she came in a hurry to the king and and asked saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Verse 26, and although the king was very sorry, yet because of his oaths and because of his dinner guests, he was unwilling to refuse her. Immediately, the king sent an executioner and commanded him to bring back his head. And he went and he had him beheaded in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl and the girl gave it to her mother. 
See, Herodias had been plotting, trying to figure out a way to kill John. And it was King Herod's birthday. And all the who's who in society were there. And toward the end of the banquet, when everyone had had their fill of wine, Herodias sent her daughter in to entertain the guest with a dance that no doubt was fairly erotic. Herod responded just as Herodias knew he would, offering the young girl anything she wanted, up to half of his kingdom. Well, the girl took the mother's advice and and asked for John the Baptist's head, and he was very sorry because he had protected him by putting him in prison. And his conscience was still working at some degree, but ultimately Herod seared his conscience because of his lust and because of his pride. You see, you need to understand that spiritual truth would never again have the effect on him that it had up to this point in his life. This was a turning point. This was a a destiny changer for Herod. See, Mark's account of Herod's life ends here. But we see elsewhere in scripture that it's not the end of the story. I mean, sin is like a spider weaving its web. And it starts with one little strand And then it begins to grow in our lives. Herod's pride would not allow him to go back on his word, but you need to understand something. I mean, Herod's like, I can't avoid the wrong now. I can't, I can't do what's right. It's like my hands are tied. I can't do what's right. It's like a a bug flying to one of those bug zappers, you know, I can't, I see the light. I can't do it. I got to keep going. And that's really what Herod was doing. I mean, their lies kind of a compliment for John. His head was worth half of the kingdom. You need to understand something. As a Roman puppet, half of the kingdom was not King Herod's to give. He's talking out of turn there. He's promising something he can't produce knowing that he's not going to have to pay it. So his conscience is now seared and he puts John to death rather than saying, I don't know what I was talking about. Over in Luke chapter 23, we get the rest of the story and we see his hardened conscience. Luke 23, verse six and following says, when Pilate heard it, this is Jesus before Pilate. And when Pilate heard it, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he heard that he had belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who himself also was in Jerusalem at that time. Verse eight. Now Herod was very glad when he saw Jesus. For he wanted to see him a long time because he had been hearing about him and was hoping to see some sign performed by him. And he questioned him at some length and he answered him nothing. And the chief priests and the scribes were standing there accusing him vehemently. And Herod with his soldiers, after treating him with contempt and mocking him, 
dressed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him back to Pilate. Now Herod and Pilate became friends with one another that very day for before they had been enemies with each other. See, after John was dead, Herod continued to die from the inside out. Remember, Herod used to enjoy listening to John. He was intrigued by him. And at some point, he showed some signs of spiritual interest. But he allowed his sinful impulses to carry the day. And now Herod got to meet Jesus. Oh, he'd heard about him. He'd, he'd heard all of the wonderful things he had been doing, healing people, feeding 5,000 people, turning the water into wine at the wedding of Cana. But all of these things had, 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 had you know, got there before Jesus did. So when Jesus appears before Herod, he was very glad when he saw him. Do you think it was because he was seeking some spiritual truth? No. Scripture tells us he wanted him to entertain him. He wanted to be entertained. He wanted to see Jesus do a miracle. He's like, oh man, I want to see him do something crazy big in front of me, the king. And when Jesus did not perform, when Jesus did not respond to his improper motives, then Herod mocked him. See, here's a picture of a man who's died from the inside out. He's gone from some interest in truth to a man who then ignores truth to a man who actively mocks the truth. But folks, that is exactly what sin does. The longer we harbor it, the harder it becomes for us to leave it. The first, at first it, it confuses our conscience and then it sears us, sears our conscience and ultimately it can harden our, our conscience. And the longer we wait to repent, to turn from our sin, the harder it becomes to repent. So what about you? Are you dying from the inside out? Are you living for yourself? Or are you living for Jesus Christ? See, if you're living for self, the Bible says that you're headed for the experience of Herod. The experience of being sorry one day. As the scripture says, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So how do we protect against being confused in conscience and, and then seared and, and even hardened? I want to give you very, four very quick applications and I'll, be, I'll wrap this up. Number one is let your conscience be guided by the word of God. Let your conscience be guided by the word of God. Do what the Bible says is right. Secondly, I would say this. Let your conscience be guided with the Holy Spirit. By the Holy Spirit. 
You know, in in, uh, Romans 9, 1, the Apostle Paul says, I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the spirit. He's letting the, the Holy Spirit guide his conscience. Thirdly, I would say this. Listen to your conscience. Listen to your conscience. See, the devil wants you to ignore your conscience. The Holy Spirit of God, the word of God is telling you this is wrong. And the devil says, just ignore it and keep doing whatever you want to do. So listen to your conscience. And the fourth thing is this. Keep your conscience clean through confession of sin and acceptance of God's forgiveness. See, when we confess our sin, his word tells us that he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As I wrap this up, I'm going to invite our our worship team to come back up. You know, in in Hebrews 9, 14, it says, for if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, verse 14, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Folks, it is one thing. It is one thing to know that we are guilty of sin. It's one thing to know that. It is another thing altogether for us to be honest about that sin. I mean, we can justify anything we choose to justify. But when we get honest about our sins and confess them to the Lord, he will forgive our sins. There is a desire. When there is a desire to repent, to turn away from sin, there can and will be salvation. But you see, when he calls and you ignore that call, choosing to remain in your sins, there is nothing left for you except judgment. When he calls and you ignore it, there is nothing left for you but judgment. God can cleanse. God can restore. He can give you new life. But when his call is ignored, the conscience begins to die. If the call is rejected long enough and often enough, the conscience conscience dies altogether. And at that point, God may call, but his voice will not be heard. More likely is the truth that God will abandon the sinner to the way that he or she has chosen. You're ignoring my call. I'm knocking, trying to get through to you. But you're ignoring that. And so I say best of luck to you. I don't believe in luck. But you better believe in something if God has not cleansed your heart and soul. This is what it says in Romans 1. 
It says, therefore, God gave them over to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped the and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Folks, that is not my word. That is the word of God. He will let us go our own way when we ignore his call. So do not, do not kill your conscience by ignoring the call of God. Simply respond to him. He's calling to you. Respond to him. Let's pray. Loving Father, I thank you. I thank you that you have made a way. Father, where we can be made right, where we can be reconciled to you.